emotional control doesn't mean shut it down don't have emotions emotional control means think about it process it learn to move through it and learn to understand your emotions and control them not just shut them down because they're inconvenient welcome to the horsewoman project a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman from relationships to truck issues taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Good morning. Hello. I did something bad to my back last night, Camry. Oh no. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I might have to adjust a few times as we're talking because it's the stupidest thing. <laughs> So, I mean, I've been oh, having like. Okay, it's not like a sex accident, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, are we getting kinky here or what, Michaela? <laughs> yeah, all right, guys. Trigger warning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I was lifting. And um, like, I've been having issues with my hip, but we've been doing a pretty good job of of switching my training around to really try to make sure my hip doesn't get aggravated. Mm-hmm. So it's been doing pretty good, but yesterday it was, it was a little sore. And then I went out and trimmed, um, my horse's front feet yesterday. So I was a little sore after that, but just enough that it's like, ah, like it, like it's bugging me a little bit, but I'm not too worried about it. And then I go to the gym and you know, everything that I'm doing right now does not aggravate my hip. Like that's how we've programmed things. So, um, I'm doing my glute bridge. And I've got a pretty darn strong glute bridge that I'm very proud of. So I was able to PR in my glute bridge last night, hit 515, so 515 pounds, wow. um, which is great. Like nothing wrong. Like my hip feels great. Everything feels great. Um, but I'm unloading my weights and I like literally, so there's, you know, to get 515 pounds, that's, I've got over 11 plates, like I think 12 plates on my bar. Right. So I'm unloading it and I get done. I have my last 45 pound plate. I'm right by the thing and I just go to put it on the holder and like just pain shot up my back. I'm like, oh, and it was one of those. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I was like, all right. So I kind of straightened up and I'm like, all right, well, I think, I think it'll be fine. So I go out to do some hamstring curls and I, I go to put like the pin, like change the pin um in the weight stack and I couldn't bend over I'm like this isn't good so I called my husband like we need to go home you need to come pick up all my stuff because I cannot pick it up oh (laughs) it's very frustrating but it feels a lot better I mean now this morning it's just my hip is just super sore um yeah but like I feel like I can actually move and and bend down and stuff I'm like I'm I'm getting kind of over this yeah Well, I was going to say, weren't you just starting to get over some of that hip pain that you had? Yeah, yeah it was. Now it's coming back. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because we've really stepped back on some of my training, which I hate to do because I love my training. <laughs> um, but my physical therapist, she's out for a couple of months now. Like she, she left and went to a different state for a couple of months. And I'm like crying. I'm like, can you come back? <laughs> because I really do think it stems from my tailbone um because my tailbone Mm. is so bent that I think just it's pulling at the muscles and the fascia and it's pulling um pulling on the on the hip like by the iliac crest that's how it feels because when she does um we've been doing like mobilization practices with my tailbone 
where she kind of massages it and then tries to like pull it back back a little bit while I while I do some movements just to try to get things moving correctly and when she does that it's like miracle it's like oh my gosh I feel so much better Mm. (laughs) like immediately afterwards but we haven't been able to do that for a while and I'm supposed to teach my husband how to do it but it makes me nervous to teach him how to do it so (laughs) but I might be desperate enough today to do that (laughs) you're like honey I need help (laughs) yeah yeah well he does pretty good I tried to have him help me once and it just hurts so bad that I'm like I'm really good at, at blocking out the pain when I have confidence that the person who is what they're doing yeah knows what they're doing and with him I'm like I just don't have the confidence yet that that you aren't actually hurting me (laughs) yeah yeah because there's good pain and then there's bad pain you know and it's like when it's like you said when you don't know exactly that the person is doing it 100% correctly then it's like okay is this bad pain is this gonna make it worse (laughs) oh exactly yeah well and so I actually had Chelsea uh, Bowman come to my place yesterday because I had come off of two different horses over the last couple weeks and so I got whiplash from the first horse I came off of and then um it was starting to feel a little bit better but anyway she was like I'm gonna be down in your area you want me to come to your house and fix you up and I was like yes I do (laughs) so she came to my house and I had been feeling a lot better like my neck wasn't bothering me anymore my low back was also bothering me a little bit from it um and that is kind of a trigger spot for me my SI joint um Mm -hmm. I used to have a lot of issues there years ago and it's gotten a ton better but um anyway so she adjusted me and she was like wow you have a lot going on like I was like I know huh I've been banged up (laughs) I that ground just gets harder and harder the older you get um but I definitely had some major stiffness and like tightness in my neck again yesterday like I was like oh but it's it's like you said like knowing that she knows what she's doing I'm like it's probably because it was immobilized and so tight there that it my body got accustomed to that and then once she like freed it back up again my neck was like whoa like what (laughs) so I was all super tight on that left side where it had that whiplash was uh, uh, the worst and but yeah now today after sleeping on it and everything and then I stretched it a bit yesterday and it feels so much better. I'm like, thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> I know I miss her. You're like, like come you, visit you me. You can travel to Idaho, right? Like, that's not too far. <laughs> sure, she would if you paid her enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just don't know if I can afford to pay her that much, <laughs> right? As You're much like, as just I your would fuel costs. Yeah. Well, and there's a gal here that I really like, um, that I've had out. I mean, she only does my horses, though. She doesn't do me, but um. But she, she snowbirds, so she's only here mm-hmm. for like four or five months, and then she's gone for the rest of the year. And so uh, I'm waiting for her to come back. I'm like, when you come back, I want to I wanna get back on your schedule, please. Yeah. Especially, I, I'm hoping to ramp up my riding starting this week. So I'm like, it would be good to just get them on a regular schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about Chelsea is that I don't get myself adjusted super often, but then the times like that, where I've had like, you know, I've come off a horse or I've hurt myself in some way. Um, it's so nice to have it done outside. Um, 
this time of year it was nice she was able to do it in my house because <laughs> it was like 32 degrees yesterday which like yeah. to you sounds warm but like that's cold to be laying on <laughs> on a chiropractic table <laughs> I'm like so. it hit 32 degrees and I'm outside in like just a sweater because it was so <laughs> hot and my horses were sweating at 32 degrees I'm that's like, funny <laughs> <laughs> they've got those winter coats on oh yeah but yeah, it's the first time I got adjusted outside. She just did it right next to my arena. Oh. And it's so nice. Like, it's just yeah. peaceful. You hear the horses, like, walking around and breathing and snorting and drinking and just, I don't know. I guess that's peaceful and calming to me, so. Mm-hmm. Well, and seriously, to just have someone come to your house and you don't have to take time out of your schedule because it's so fast, for one. You know, like maybe 15 minutes if she really has to look through things, but you can just get it done and then get right back to work. It's so nice. Well, should we get into the topic now that we've rambled? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited for this topic, Um, but I think you're more excited. So I'm going to let you just kind of handle the flow of it and then I'll just jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So the topic is talking about emotional control right? So um, a lot of times we expect our horses to be 100% on the ball, controlling themselves all the time and never have blowups or never have the negative, as I air quote, negative emotions. Um, But on the flip side of that coin, what we're going to talk about is our emotional control. Because a lot of times we will fly off the handle or like not have that emotional control in every moment, but then we expect it of our animals. So kind of trying to balance that out and, and helping our horses with their emotions and their neurological states, but also being able to do the same for ourselves. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. Can I just, I saw a post the other day and I, I was thinking about this episode when, when I saw it and I was like, oh yeah. Um, but it was Buck Branneman. Mm. And it was just a quote from one of his training sessions, but he was talking about when horses are standing and they're fidgeting and they're doing things. He's like, people will just ignore them. Right. And they won't, they'll just be like, well, whatever, as long as they're just standing here, it's fine. And he's like, instead of ignoring them, like he's like, address the issue, come through, help your horse make that energy into positive energy, or you're going to end up with negative energy. Um, And I was thinking about that. I saw a post in one of our horse groups the other day and the cow's like my horse is is crazy on the ground like dangerous it takes four of us to keep him standing still it and like one of the guys is a really big guy and I was thinking about that I'm like oh like I wonder what in that situation I don't know the situation I was just reading her post but it made me think about that like what could we what could we do in those kind of situations to help the horses chill out and use that energy for positive energy and things so that's just yeah that's that's something I I saw this week and I was like oh we're gonna talk about this <laughs> yeah I am on this major kick the last couple of years with um, helping horses with that kind of stuff with the emotional control because I did used to be more of the like desensitize them right get them to like use a flag or use whatever until they learn to stand still it's not about standing still not even a little bit. (laughs) Um, That actually, we'll go into that a little bit later, but um, the standing still, there are many different versions of standing still. It's not just, if they're standing still, they're good. Um, It depends on what emotional state they're in when they are standing still. So anyway, we will dive into that in a bit. So 
um, we talk about, I think within the human realm and the horse realm, a lot of people talk about like shutdown with emotions, right? That's kind of a, a, a bigger word these days, a bigger phrase. Um, so I kind of want to go into that as well before we get going too deep of what is shutdown, right? Um, and so shutdown is, let's see, it's, it's like a self-defense mechanism or coping mechanism that when you get super stressed and you feel like you can't handle what is being thrown your way, um, that's when it's just like, and it just it's it's like this gate goes up in front of these emotions and just buries them you know gets them behind this wall so that you don't have to deal with them because your your body and your brain are saying nope too much and it just shuts that off and with horses what shutdown looks like is horses that have been taught that don't show me your emotions don't show me what you're feeling shut it off and just focus on your little bubble right here of you like a lot of performance horses are that way where they learn to um focus on their job perform and just like don't worry about all the banners on the wall or the kids running up and down the bleachers or all those things um but yeah so that's kind of a little bit what shutdown is in horses them just not being able to to cope with something like that um something that could be quote unquote scary or spooky um they just learn to shut that down so the first thing that I like to go into with emotions and and how to help ourselves with it and our horses with it is something we've mentioned before which is um heart coherence right so we've talked about the heart math institute in one of our earlier episodes and how they talk about the waves, the energy waves that come from not only our brain, but from this little nervous system in the heart that they call the quote heart brain. So they they call it harmonious order, connectedness, stability, and efficient use of energy mm-hmm. um, is what the HeartMath Institute, um, that's a quote from them. Mm-hmm. So when, when we are all in coherence like that, that's when we feel good. That's when we have those, like that sense of like euphoria and like that high of just like, I feel so good. And like, my horse is so connected to me. And just those moments that feel like that, that's what heart coherence is, right? When, when what you're feeling, how you're acting, what, how you're behaving, everything is all aligned. So now when we get into trouble with heart coherence is when we're feeling something inside and we're behaving differently on the outside and not only is that difficult on the human it makes a little bit more of those erratic electromagnetic waves coming from your your heart brain but but it also is very confusing for the horse right and horses are like okay wait a minute your your behavior is saying one thing your energy is saying another thing um, and it just creates the opposite of connection i feel like it's not even just with horses. I mean, we've all been by people who it's like, oh, they seem nice, but there's that thing. There's something about them. Like we can feel that too. It's not just horses that can read that. We can too. We have just learned to ignore a lot of it and be like, oh, it's in my head. Like I'll push past this. And, and that's one thing, um, especially teaching young women, I'm really into of like, no, you listen to that instinct 
even though you don't know what it is, you listen to that because that's what keeps you safe. And it's the same with the horses. They have learned to listen to that because that's what keeps them safe. You know, Mm -hmm. um, horses will know, okay, is this dog nice or not by how the dog interacts and you know if the dog's kind of sneaky they're probably they're going to react in a different way um and it's the same with us like we we have that ability to read to read each other as well and I just wanted to put that in there yeah for sure well and it's kind of like that phrase of like if mom's not happy no one's happy so it's like even if mom is behaving in like she's doing the dishes or she's doing her duties and she's doing all those things and but you can just sense when there's this underlying like, right. And it's not just mom. That's just kind of a, a phrase. Um, but yeah, it's, y- you feel that about people. You can feel that when they walk in a room, when someone comes in and you're like, Oh, are you okay? Like mm-hmm. something's up. And it's not because of any certain behavior or anything on the outside. It's just that energy that we feel. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of crazy that it is you know, outside of our bodies. That's Mm -hmm. how powerful it is. It's still so crazy to me that it's that far outside our bodies. (laughs) It is very, very cool. (laughs) And it's a way, um, too, that you can use to connect better with people because it's like, hey, Mm -hmm. I know there's something up, you know, if you, if you're really close friends with somebody and just being able to read their energy and being like, look, like, even if you don't want to talk to me, I can feel this. Like I, something's up you know let's talk about it um but there have been multiple times I'll, I'll walk into somebody's house and I'm like okay like we can only be here for five minutes because because you can just feel that underlying tension and it just becomes uncomfortable too because you're like how come no one is is talking about what I'm feeling here like yeah, there is like something going on <laughs> like what is the elephant in the room here like what's going uh, on <laughs> exactly oh <laughs> uh, so let's start diving kind of down into that path of the human side of it. So I'll, I'll list off kind of the main topics and then we're going to dive into each of these. So you can do things that are going to help you neurologically. So just something that is physical, right? That you can do to change your neurological state. You can do breathing exercises, uh, which is kind of part of the neurological thing um, a little bit. <laughs> you can do meditations. You can journal. Uh, you can get like a support human or a support animal, which we will dive into that as well. Um, and then like exercise and yoga. So there's a lot of things that we can do for emotional control. It's not just like emotional control doesn't mean shut it down. Don't have emotions. Emotional control means think about it, process it, learn to move through it and learn to understand your emotions and control them not just shut them down because they're inconvenient (laughs) because I feel like a lot of people think emotional control means control those emotions get a handle on it like Mm -hmm. stop being a whiner and like that is not at all what we're talking about (laughs) so no exactly because when you shut it down all you're doing is burying it right and you can only bury so much yeah. Um, I mean, if you think of just about a hole, if you dig a six feet hole, you can only bury six feet worth of stuff. The hole doesn't get any bigger as you're, as you're burying things into it, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually it's going to overflow and blow up. And if you don't have the tools to learn how to manage it and to learn how to go through it, recognize it, deal with what's coming up and actually take action steps towards it, then you're going to have a lot of other issues going on. Yeah, for sure. 
So one of the first things I think of with emotional control, because it's something that I use quite a bit, and I had mentioned it in, I think it was in my interview, and I didn't go into the details of it. <laughs> and we did have someone comment and be like, what are you talking about with this neurological exercise? So here it is, guys. Um, so it's called the basic exercise. And it is to help you get your neurological state out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is like our fight or flight, our reaction state, and back down into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest relaxed state. And it does that by stimulating what's called the vagus nerve. Um, and I've seen, I've actually even seen some reels about it. Maybe it's because it's like the Facebook algorithm. So it shows me, I don't know if it shows up on anyone else's feed, but um, so there's a lot of people outside of horsemanship that do this exercise or a similar exercise. Um, so I'll try to explain it as best I can since uh, you guys don't have a visual here. So you're gonna interlace your fingers and then you put them behind your head, just like right below, like right on your uh, occipital bone. And you're, that's gonna help keep your head facing forward. Okay, so your head is gonna stay facing forward the whole time. And then you're going to look as far to one direction as you can only with your eyes. And then you're gonna hold that until you get a release, which a release just means you're gonna have a sigh or a, a big swallow or I always yawn. Yawning is my release. Um, and it, it's really neat to do this and, and you can do it on both sides. But with me, the first few times I did it, it took me probably, I want to say a minute and a half to two minutes before I would get a release. And it feels really weird. Like it almost made me dizzy <laughs> to have my eyes looking so far to the side for so long. Um, but I just kept holding it there and I was like, my eyes feel weird. <laughs> um, but then I, I got that release and it, it felt really good and I yawned and, and now it happens within about 10-ish seconds, sometimes, you know, five seconds, sometimes 15 or 20, depending on like how stressed I am. <laughs> um, but it is, it's just such a, a simple, easy exercise that, that takes you out of that reaction mode and just helps you. So like anytime I get nervous about a horse or like they just bolted or they, you know, did something unexpected and, you know, boom, my heart rate goes through the roof because it's adrenaline response. Um, I will either get off the horse and do this or if the horse, if I've gotten the horse in a good state and I feel like I can do it on the horse's back, I will. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do it without putting your hands behind your head. Um, that's mainly for when you're first starting it to make sure that you can keep your head facing forward. Mm. Um, so like if I do it on horseback, I do keep a hold of my reins. <laughs> I don't like take both hands off the reins and put them behind my head. Um, so anyway, just please don't do this on your horse and let go of your reins. And <laughs> you're like, disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer, don't do that, please. Um, so that's interesting though, um, that the hands really are just there to keep your head forward like I would be interested to see if there is any being with the nerve bundle back there like if having that pressure really does help that release as well have you when you've been doing this have you heard anything about that I haven't I have heard there's another exercise that's similar that has to do with the ears and kind of pulling a certain way on them I don't know the details of that exercise I do know it has to do with something with the ears um, and, and pulling on those that the same thing it's going to stimulate that vagus nerve 
Um, but I, I personally haven't noticed a difference between when I have my hands behind my head or not. Um, so I don't know. I, I may have to look into that. Yeah. Well, and for people who don't know what the vagus nerve is, do you want to explain to them what that is? Basically, its role is just that um, shifting between nervous system states. So, um, and that's what's, I guess, more applicable to me. So that's more what I have learned about thus far. But the book that I have on my list is called Accessing the Healing Power of the Vagus Nerve. We will link to that in the description. And I have not read it yet, but I've heard very, very good things about it. So if you are interested in that, um, we can read it together. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I know we should we should do a book club. You and I have so many books on our list. <laughs> we should just do a book club. Because <laughs> we don't have enough going on. <laughs> so I just looked it up. It says um, the vagus nerve, also known as the vagal nerves, are the main nerves of your parasympathetic nervous system. The system controls specific body functions such as your digestion, heart rate, and immune system. So I like that because it, you know, it controls your almost a subconscious behavior. So doing an exercise like that would make sense and how it would calm you down because it's kind of taking the focus and going, hey, I'm understanding that you're doing all this other stuff too. Like, let's let's just connect back with, with the base there. Um, yeah. That's how I'm thinking about it just off the top of my head after reading that, but very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the overall idea behind it for those that really aren't into the sciencey stuff is just it takes you from reaction mode to rest mode mm-hmm. is essentially what it does with your nervous system so I do like exercises like that um, and then like another big one which has to do with again like the physical here right getting our our heart rate our lungs our nerves to to do what we want them to do to be calm and and relaxed is breathing techniques. So I learned quite a few different breathing techniques when I did hypnobirthing with my second kid. I did not do that with my first kid, but I did with my second. Um, And it sounds hokey, guys. I know hypnobirthing, you're like, what? (laughs) But essentially, it's just deep relaxation. Um, So you get yourself to learn how to go into a very, very deep state of relaxation to the point of like, I would fall asleep. Um, I would get so relaxed through through some of these breathing techniques and, and meditation techniques. Um, and I was able to go through 24 hours of labor. It was a very long labor. Um, I had two waters, which was weird. Um, so my first one burst, which started labor. And then my second one wouldn't allow my daughter's head to engage. So labor just took a very, very, very long time. <laughs> but I was able to do all of it unmedicated simply by using some of these breathing and meditation techniques, which is really, really neat. Um, because it's, it's essentially being able to control your own pain relief. Cause a lot of people, when I tell them that I like, I didn't use an epidural, they're like, what, you want all that pain? You want all this pain? It's like, no, but like the power of me, me being able to control my own pain relief and, and being able to have the tools to, make my own endorphins and to put myself in that state where I got that endorphin release, which gave me pain relief, um, was just really neat. So it's just a different version of pain relief, guys. (laughs) I have no issues whatsoever with anyone that likes epidurals. But anyway, so if you like all this like breathing stuff, meditation stuff, and you're having kids, 
something to think about kind of fun so Um, okay because (laughs) I've got so many questions about just the two things just for you that we've talked about um so before we move too far on I want to go back to the neurological exercise really quick and just ask you um so because you obviously have a lot of experience with horses blowing up and you needing to come back from a reaction state to a relaxed Mm -hmm. state right um and I'm really big into helping people through fear of horses like that's one of my favorite things to do when I work with people but have you noticed doing that exercise do you like does it pretty much solve the issue or do you feel like it kind of helps you in the moment and then you have to go do processing afterwards that's a great question so that's why we're getting into some of these things later on like journaling or other Mm -hmm. things um because it does help in the moment yes and like now I'm able to control my heart rate and those physical things that my horse will react to and respond to, right? If my heart is racing, then my horse is like, where's the predator? What's happening? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it helps a lot with being able to put myself in a physical state that encourages the right mental state, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then like, if there is something later on that, that I need to deal with of, kind of that idea we've talked about before of the fear you listen to and the fear you don't it's it's deciding okay do I need to be scared of this horse do I need to be scared to get back on do I need to do more thorough groundwork or is this fear just was it just an adrenaline rush because it was something unexpected which unexpected happens with cults you guys (laughs) I'm a cult starter like cults do unexpected things (laughs) I am very thorough and I do my best to try and help them so that it's there's a lot more predictability to it, but there's still animals and there's still gusts of wind that blow things into the arena or, you know, whatever, or a bird that flies out of a tree that, you know, could make them react. Um, so there's definitely some processing and things that I'll have to do after the fact, just to make sure that I'm staying safe for future horses and knowing how to handle things moving forward in that way. So. Yeah, I like that because I feel, I don't know, <laughs> I feel like um, any kind of exercise like this, it's going to help, like like we said, lower your heart rate, get you in a relaxed state, but I still feel like there would be a lot that you would still have to work on mentally um, and just process on the back end. So I like that distinction. Okay, now back to the hip number thing because <laughs> this is like so interesting to me. No, if, Those of you guys who don't know me, I do not have children. Camry has two children and she and I have talked a lot about like the birthing process because I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but all I ever hear about birthing are the horror stories. <laughs> like we had your, um, the last retreat, the horsewoman retreat that you put on. Gosh, we all sat around the fire and I heard some of the most horrific birthing stories I've ever <laughs> heard in my life that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> why do we put ourselves through this? And, you know, and after some, after one girl's telling us about how she almost died, I'm like, and then, but she wishes she could have another child. I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> for me, who's never been pregnant or never had children, it's just weird for me to like think about that and it actually brings up a lot of anxiety for me to even like like well I don't want to go through that honestly like if I'm being honest that no like yeah that can be a good hard stop but Camry's one of the first people who's been like no I loved my pregnancy I loved my birthing process and I was really sad that I couldn't redo it and I'm like what are you talking about crazy lady Uh (laughs) so 
hypnobirthing is something that Camry has talked to me a little bit about uh, because she recognizes that all I hear are the scary stories. <laughs> um, well, in most women, it's that way. I mean, people for some reason love to share their their really scary, um, fear based childbirth experiences. And I read a, a book when I was looking into doing hypnobirthing that was called it was the Mongan Method book, and um, there's one chapter in it that I feel like every woman needs to read. And it was, oh, it was something about like the history of childbirth or something. Um, and it had to do with how childbirth went from being something that women were surrounded by women and even their younger kids, you know, their, their kids were there in the room and it was so much more, um, such a support system of just this village around you of of these women that that have gone before you and had a kid before and so you just felt so much love and support from these women and I mean just like if you were to watch if you've ever watched an animal give birth like a horse or a goat or anything else unless it's a like you know there's something wrong or a baby's breach or something um, as long like if it's a healthy childbirth there's not a lot of like screaming and yelling and kicking and thrashing like they show in these Hollywood movies of these women like oh you know and and so it's that's how childbirth used to be for women but then it turned into something where women were put in hospitals and they actually didn't even allow men in the room for childbirth like the woman was alone it was a medical procedure so it was very fear-inducing right because you're alone you don't have a support system you like if you've never given birth before you don't know what's going on and then it was a lot of like using things like forceps and and all these other things and episiotomies and these these scary things which yes I'm gonna say I am so grateful that we have modern medicine because it has saved so many women and babies I'm not knocking that but it was just crazy to hear how how it's gone from this big supported loving atmosphere of of women of empowering women right to this like nope like shut you off it's a medical procedure and and then like kids don't learn about it from their parents like young girls don't get to see another woman give birth they don't get to experience how amazing it can be and I think we're starting to shift a little bit more into that you know they allow a lot of people in the room um, so like with my first birth, my mom was there and my husband was there. I didn't want a ton of people, but I did want those two with me. So, um, so that's nice, but it's just crazy how it's turned into this big fear-based thing and how women just share all the, the fear things. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go too much on this tangent, <laughs> but like, if you want to feel empowered through having kids and giving birth, I recommend you reading at least that chapter of that book, even if you're not going to do hypnobirthing, just to kind of have a good understanding of like, oh, like I do have this control over like my body and 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 over my fear levels with it, because um, I think that's such a huge thing, because when we get in that fear state, our body goes, oh, I need to fight, right? Mm -hmm. We get in this fight or flight mode, which usually like you can't fly from giving birth, like that baby's coming like is it? <laughs> yeah, so you get into fight mode so then your body actually works against itself mm -hmm. and so it's feeling this pain but then it's like no I don't want to feel the pain and so it fights its own processes which makes labor more painful more mm -hmm. traumatic um, and just a 
fearful experience, a, a bad experience. Um, so it's just nice knowing that that we can get through that and, and feel empowered through it and, and do all of that instead of having yeah. to have it be such a, a scary, bad thing. So well, and <laughs> like with the women who share, like there's no knock against sharing because I've been through some very traumatic things in my life and I like and their stories that they are traumatic it's a trauma story and of Mm -hmm. course we all want to share our trauma stories because that's how you really you know figure it out and process how how you process it and how you get over it um and it I feel like birthing trauma is the only trauma that we're allowed to share right because there are so many traumas I mean that I've had that I don't feel like I can share that I don't feel like I can talk about And because of that, I still have issues with some of these things, right? But with, with birthing trauma, that is such, um, it's kind of like your gold star. Like if you had a a trauma experience there, you are allowed to share it and you're allowed to revere how hard it was, which is okay. But I think that's why we do hear a lot about it is because that's, that's really the only trauma that we as women are allowed to, to share and not be, um, knocked down for, especially in our women communities with our women friends. I mean, we probably with males, it's a little bit different. I don't feel like you'd normally share those stories around a bunch of men, but with women, I mean, we, we all do because it's something that most women can relate to and you can all build upon, you know, your own stories and process together in a way. So I do think it's beautiful that we do share, but it is for someone who's never had kids before. And that's all we hear. It, it is like, oh my gosh, like, why did you guys even, even begin to make this decision? And you had how many kids you chose to do this six times? Are you kidding me? You know? So, so it is, it is very cool to listen to you talk about that. And we'll definitely link to that book because now I'm going to have to go read it, add it to my list, (laughs) my book club list. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I hope I didn't want it to come across as though I didn't want women to share those things. I think just maybe think about who you're around when you share it. Kind of like you said, you know, if you're around someone that hasn't had kids that can't relate to that yet, it may be not the best place to share it with other women who have had you know, where you can feel that support of like, hey, let's process this together. Let's work through this together. Um, I think that's definitely a much more suitable place to share the trauma of it, just so that we don't perpetuate that trauma going forward into Mm -hmm. the next group of women that are coming into childbirth years, you know? (laughs) No, that's very true. And for me, as someone who doesn't, I should probably just remove myself from some of those discussions (laughs) and just be like, I'll, I'll deal with this when it comes. I mean, it is hard when, when that's what a lot of women talk about. Um, but it's true because it has built up so much anxiety in me that like the idea of, of talking about birth or, or whatever, it's like, ah, like, I just don't know, you know, I don't know if it's for me or not because I just, yeah, we'll see, you know, Yeah. but it, but it's true. So I, I love that. And definitely something we'll have to look into. Yeah. So, um, I'll share a couple of the Uh, main breathing exercises so you can do box breathing which is you're going to do equal counts all the way around so you're going to go in for four hold for four out for four hold for four right so just think of it all equal on all the sides there's also um which this one was actually one of my favorites where you breathe in for four and out for eight so you double your out breath and that one was actually very hard for me to master in the beginning like I would start breathing out and then I'm like 
got nothing else to breathe out. Like (laughs) I breathed out too fast. (laughs) What's interesting Um, for me on that one is I'll get into that state of panic of I've got to breathe in. And like my body just like makes me breathe in. And it's very (laughs) interesting to have to really control that and be like, no, it's okay. I've got control over when I can breathe in. Um, But sometimes your body wants to kick in on that one. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but my body does that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm starting to breathe out and it's like, no, I need to breathe. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Breathe. And I don't know if it's like an instinctual thing where your body is like recognizing it's lungs are being emptied and it's like it needs breath Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah kind of crazy and then one thing to mention with these breathing techniques is you can also use them as like more so than just slowing your breathing down and controlling your breathing to connect to your breath so you use it as a meditation that brings you back to the present back to right where you are to the exact air you are breathing in this very second um, so when you focus on your breath like that, it, it helps have something to bring you back to when your mind starts going like, oh, I need to do this for dinner and I need to go get this meat out and do this. And then I need to go and, and muck the stalls and I have to go do this. And, you know, when your brain is going a million miles a minute, if you have that focal point of something to come back to, that's kind of what that breath is. Um, so it does help slow your heart rate down, slow your breathing down, but it can also help with the mental state of just being present, being mindful of, you know, where do you feel the breath? Are you breathing low and deep? Like, is it way down low where your diaphragm is, or are you breathing up here in your chest and and what are you feeling as you're breathing and, and those types of things. So lots and lots and lots to go into with breathing techniques. We'll kind of leave it at that little surface level (laughs) Um, just because there's we could probably do a whole episode just on breathing techniques but yeah kind of fun yeah I love that that's one of my favorite things about teaching yoga is matching your movements with your breath like it just brings you into a whole next level of awareness (laughs) Mm -hmm. and with like you said with the breathing techniques it's so helpful and just bringing yourself back in the moment of realizing okay am I safe or not and one thing I love about breathing is when you can control your breathing, that signals to your body, hey, I'm safe. We don't need to be in flight or fight. And that's one of the biggest techniques I use with people who are nervous when they're riding is okay. Like, I mean, even if I have to take control of their horse and walk their horse, I've done this a few times actually with, um, I've worked a lot with teenagers who have like learning disabilities or reaction issues. Um, and like, I'll do that. I'll grab, I'll take control of their horse. Cause the cool thing about the horse's walk is it mimics your own walk and it's rhythmic. And then matching that with the breath is so good at bringing some of those reactions back to baseline about allowing that kid or that teenager or that person, that adult come back to being in the present and, and signaling to their bodies that, Hey, I don't need to fight right now. I'm safe. I'm not in a situation where I need to fight and it can be really, really powerful for them. So, and just those basic ones, I I feel like, you know, we can get into more technical ones, but those basic ones are powerful enough that tech, like most of the time, that's all you're going to really need is to just really practice those. And like Camry said, really focus on where's this breath coming from? Am I allowing my diaphragm to actually move? And when your diaphragm moves, that means your belly needs to be moving in and out. When I was, (laughs) 
when I was a teenager, I actually taught myself to breathe correct or incorrectly because I didn't want my belly moving out, right? Like I was so self-conscious of my belly that I was like, nope, I have to breathe from my chest. And so now that's my automatic where I breathe. But when I breathe in my chest and I don't allow my belly to move in and out and allow that diaphragm to really fill up, my breaths become short and shallow and they actually increase my heart rate and increase my anxiety. And I have to sometimes take a step back and be like, okay, I'm feeling a lot of extra tent, like stress and tense here. And sometimes in situations that I shouldn't. And just, just by bringing back awareness and going, okay, practice with my belly for a second, realize that like, I need to relax those muscles and, and allow them not to be quite so tense can be helpful. But then also in your writing, we, we like to ride with really tense bellies. And this is something that I have noticed in a lot of writers, especially lately. It's like, no, actually when we hold ourselves tense, we make ourselves like a stick right? And we're not able to actually move with our horses when we're holding our bellies up really, really tight. So allowing your breath to fill in, allowing that belly to just do its job of moving and acting like a spring versus a stick, you know, that's bouncing up and down um, can be very helpful as well. Yeah, for sure. And that what you were saying when you would take control of a horse, you know, and, and you would take the, the reins or the lead line, and have them focus on their breathing. This was just something I did instinctually one time. I don't really have any like scientific backing or anything behind this, but it seemed to really help. And what I did is I actually had her take away one of her senses. So I had her close her eyes and focus on the breath. And that really helped her calm down and be able to just take away that so that she could just feel. And and being able to put her in that state where she could feel without, you know, looking at all the things around her and, and uh, looking at the ground maybe, or being nervous about coming off or any of those things, she was able to feel the horse's breath and feel the horse's steps and the rock of their belly back and forth as they walk and, and all of those things. So I don't know if there's like, there maybe is a scientific benefit to, like I said, taking away a sense, one of those five senses um, and taking that that vision out of the equation, but it was definitely something that was very helpful for her. But I definitely think you, again, disclaimer: don't just shut your eyes on your horse and drop the reins or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, <laughs> um, I have on horses that I trust. Um, I have gone around and just let them like close the gate in my arena so they can't wander out, and just you know had my set my hand down, kept a hold of the reins. I didn't let them go, and then just closed my eyes and let the horse wander where it wanted and just kind of close my eyes, focused on the horse, focused on our breathing. Um, and it can be a very therapeutic thing that is just very calming. So oh, it's 100% therapeutic. Um, Cause just doing that, I mean, you just bring awareness. That's all we're doing, you know, in that sense, like when you have her close her eyes, you bring more awareness to other senses and then you can kind of build on that. And it just, it helps so much just with calming, but it also helps build trust both in the horse that they're riding. Like it helps them build trust in that horse, but it also helps them build trust in you, right. In you as a, as an instructor or as a teacher or as a mentor. Um, because I mean, they are, they are saying, Hey, like I'm giving up control of this animal that I'm on, that I'm half scared of. And I'm, I'm trusting you to make sure it doesn't kill me. right? <laughs> and, and then I'm trusting your voice as you're leading me through these things. Cause I've done the same thing. And what I'll actually do is, is say, Hey, I want you to fill the horse's footbeat or like hoofbeat. 
but then pick out, I want you to tell me when their right front foot is going down and just say down, down. And that's also a very powerful technique to teach the kids about beats and teach the kids about like counting your horse's beats um, as well. I just, I love this stuff. This is, it's definitely one of my favorite things um, that I really miss about teaching writing lessons is, is doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Super fun. Um, so Michaela, you've done a little bit of the like meditation stuff. So one of the ones I've done a lot of was one called rainbow relaxation, which has to do with colors and how different colors have different meanings, um, and kind of different emotions to each color. So I really liked that one. I've also done one, which I know you do as well, which has to do with light entering your body. Um, so do you want to share kind of some of the ones you've maybe done in your yoga practice or personally or otherwise? Yeah. Um, the light meditation is the one that I do most often. Um, so what that takes is you put yourself like, let's say if I'm ending a yoga session, this is one that I do almost at the end of every yoga session, just because it encourages deeper relaxation and deeper meditation or, um, almost, oh no, almost, um, now I can't think of the word, but it encourages deeper relaxation. Um, but all you do here is you picture a light and it's whatever color you want. Sometimes I'll tell them the color that it is. Sometimes I'll just be like, pick your favorite color or just notice like what color is this? Because a lot of times colors can coincide with whatever emotion that person is feeling. Um, I don't know, like I can't get into it very deeply, but that way just because I don't know enough um but it can kind of stimulate like okay what the person is feeling and so sometimes having them pick it and letting that go through them can be an extra stage of relaxation but I always start at the head um and some some things that I've done also start at the feet I always start at the head because I like to think about coming down and rooting yourself down versus um bringing the bringing the light up but I have done where they bring the light up from your feet um but then I just lead them through and go hey okay the the light starting at the top of your head you know and sometimes again I'll pick the color and I'll pick the temperature but sometimes too I'll just be like notice what color it is um notice is it warm is it neutral does it have a temperature and then I'll kind of guide them through and go, okay, like as it, as it's going through the top of your head, you're starting to notice all the little muscles in your face and in your head. And you're noticing like, where do they need to relax? What muscles are tense and, and just will them to relax right now. And then I'll do that same thing going throughout their whole body. And it's really, really fun to watch, especially when I'm doing it with kids, just to really see them relax I mean and just sink into their mats it's one of my favorite things um and again you can do it from your feet up another one I have done is also like a tension meditation so instead of there being a light you actually go through and you tense your muscles really um really really tight so like starting at your feet you're going to start with your toes clenched and you're going to clench your feet and your toes as tight as you can get them for a couple of seconds and then you're going to release and what that does is it actually increases blood flow so you'll get that tingly feeling in there and it just relaxes your muscles and then you'll go up to your calves and you'll do the same thing with your calves and then you'll do the same thing with your thighs and um with your thighs and then you'll do the same thing with your glutes and hips and then your stomach and then your chest and then arms and everything and by the time you're done it just feels like you know, like when your um, when your hand goes to sleep or something, and the blood flows coming back into it, that tingly sensation. It's how your whole body feels, and it's one of the most relaxing things to do. That one I like to do 
really when I'm, um, when I'm in a more of a relaxed state, I don't know, for me, tensing my muscles like that can sometimes actually create a little bit more anxiety for me. So I choose to do that one when I don't really have the anxiety to go with it. It can be different for other people though. So I tend to lean towards the light meditation one personally. Well, when I get, when my foot falls asleep, it actually hurts. So I'm like, maybe it's like a lighter version of that. <laughs> yeah, lighter version, lighter version, just a little tingly. <laughs> um, and then one thing I wanted to mention really quick too, if you are new to meditation or um, you want something to help you get started in it, I actually used the Headspace app that is a meditation app. And I have really liked that one. Um, just because it has a lot of guided meditations, because it does take practice to learn how to meditate. It does. Um, and that leads me into one big concept I want to get into, which is you need to practice all of these techniques when you are not in super high stress. Because if you're trying to use a new technique that you've never tried before, when you're like, oh, I mean, it's like trying to learn a new concept or to learn calculus when you're skydiving I mean when you are in that adrenaline state and that high stress state or that really excited state that adrenaline state and you are not practiced at calming down good luck <laughs> like you have to practice it beforehand so that's where like like when I did hypnobirthing every single night before I went to bed I did the rainbow relaxation meditation and so it got my body to where within 30 to 60 seconds of the meditation starting, I was asleep. So I was able to go to a deep relaxation state in less than a minute. Um, and then it made it so that when I was in the middle of childbirth, which is amazing, but it is very taxing on your body. Like that is a very intense, very intense experience. Um, I was able to be like, I've been doing this for nine months every day. I was very practiced at it and not just that I had several tools in my toolbox, but, um, if I would have just, and I can tell you this from experience because my first one, I didn't have all these breathing techniques. Um, and I did do my first childbirth, uh, experience. I had it natural as well. So I didn't have an epidural. Um, I, I was able to calm down through the first little bit of labor, but then I hit this point where it was just like, nope and I was too far gone and I remember just being like knock me unconscious so that I could just wake up when it's over because it was so intense my body was just like ah and fighting itself whereas like my and that's it's funny to me because my first one my labor was seven hours and I was good for the first five and the last two was just like oh you know it was so difficult and so painful and then my second one was 24 hours and it was much calmer, much easier, just, yeah. So crazy difference in just how much practice I had with all the different tools of everything from visualizing to breathing exercises, to meditation exercises um, and things like that. So practice, practice, practice every day, even if it's only for 10 minutes, it does not have to be an hour of meditation a day. Um, but just some consistency, even if it's two or three times a week, um, just to keep you practiced at it so that when it does start getting uh, really intense, you're able to say, oh, okay, I know how to do some of these techniques to, to bring my mental state back where it needs to be. So, all right. So 
one of the next things which I heard from a Brooke Castillo podcast. So she does the life coach school. Um, and I really like this concept, which she calls it passing through neutral. And she has a couple episodes that all go together. I want to say it's like 286 or something in her episodes, but just look up passing through neutral and you'll find it. Um, and she talks about going from this negative mindset into a positive mindset and how, I mean, it's been a while since I listened to it, guys, so pardon me if I misconstrue <laughs> something that she didn't say, but overall, the idea was um, she has clients that want to go from that negative headspace into that positive headspace, and they have a very difficult time with that, which I do as well, so that's why I really related to this, um, and she talks about how you need to go pass through neutral. You need to get in the state where you don't have any feelings about not positive feelings, not negative feelings. And you just, it's all just circumstance. It is, this desk is wood. I am sitting on the carpet. You know, it is no feelings involved with it. You just get to this neutral state. Um, and it's really, really amazing. If you want to go and listen to it, I really love, um, love this concept just because it's so hard to go from like, Oh, I hate this, or I'm feeling this or oh, this bad negative mindset. And then be like, but it's all roses and daisies and it's just wonderful. Like that is, you're, you're wanting to go from one extreme to the other and to not have something to pass through to kind of help bridge the gap is difficult for people. It's extremely difficult. I mean, you, you're trying to go polar opposites here. Um, so I find it very beneficial to just try and don't think about, you know, I need to, I need to be positive about this. I need to be positive, um, which is what I tend to tell myself. I'm like, be the optimist. Come on, <laughs> be Pollyanna here. Come on, come on. Um, but yeah, just get to that neutral state. And then when you're ready, you can come out of neutral and it's much easier to go from neutral to positive than it is to go from extremely negative to positive. So um, there's kind of another thing of like how to process um, some of these other things we've talked about have been a little bit more these physical techniques, right, to get certain breathing and, and different things. Um, but with this one, it's a lot more mental and how to get your mind processing what you're going through in a healthy way uh, without just shutting down. So do you have any thoughts on yeah. that one, Michaela? Oh, I like it. This is This is something that you have shared with me, which has been really interesting because I'm someone... I don't know. Neutral scares me. <laughs> I'm a feeler. So like neutral sounds like hell, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like I just like my body knows how to do emotions and, and whatnot, but it, it has been really good for me to, to think about and learn about and go, okay, like in what ways do I, as a very hyper emotional being go through neutral? Because like, I never not I'm like never not feeling something like if I'm not feeling something I I almost hyper create something to feel <laughs> because that's just <laughs> who I am um but I I loved everything that you said because you can't go from a really really negative to a really really positive it's just in, in, in the switch of a button right like sure you probably can in a couple of hours or even in a couple of days um but I think too if um just kind of going along with that thought is being okay with the fact that sometimes things suck. And I know you and I have talked about that for both of us in some situations where it's like, yeah, that's a crappy situation, man. Like, of course you're angry. 
it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel this for a second and acknowledge the fact that, hey, this is a problem. Um, one thing that I have learned through the years, because I used to think kind of like you, like, oh, I can't be negative. I can't have anger. I can't, I can't feel this. Like, that's just not good. You shouldn't feel that. Um, and if you feel that, man, I don't know how it was like you growing up, but I was taught a lot like in in hyper religions that, man, if you feel like a negative emotion, that's Satan getting a hold of you. And that really like really did some a number on my mental health, just having oh, yeah. that kind of a feeling yep. um, for some of those high demand religions that we can be a part of. But anyway, so having that like, man, this this being's got control of me was not good you know, and, but being able to move away from that and realizing, no, it's a feeling <laughs> like, and these feelings are normal. And actually these feelings are here to serve us. If you're angry, that's a good sign that a boundary was crossed. You know, normally when we get angry, it's because someone or something crossed a boundary and it's a good time to take, to take that into acknowledgement and do something about that. You know, when we get angry at our horses, a lot of times it's because our horses did something that crossed our boundary. Like your horse took a kick at you. That's a huge boundary that that horse just crossed, right? Or heck, your horse maybe bucked. That's a big boundary that your horse just crossed. Um, maybe like my horse bit me yesterday. That was a big boundary that he, that I was very <laughs> upset with him about. <laughs> My horse you know. bucked me off last week. Yours bit you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Little stinks. No, it, and a lot of, um, but just realizing like, hey, uh, no, like that is not an okay. You need to reset that boundary. And that's what anger for me serves. So normally when I'm angry, it's like, okay, what boundary uh, has someone crossed or am I allowing someone to cross? Because sometimes we do that where it's like, we go, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But then we build up that resentment and that anger towards that person. And it's like, well, it's because I keep letting them cross this boundary and I need to stay, to step back and realize I need to solidify that boundary in myself and with that person if I don't want to have anger and resentment towards them anymore. Um, but same, and like, I don't know, just, just learning about the emotions and the purposes behind them have been really helpful for me to keep me safe as well. Cause there are some like uncomfort that that's telling you something. Sadness is telling you something. Hurt is telling you something. And they are all things that are telling you something needs to change. Something needs to happen. It's like, if you are hurt and your body saying I'm in pain, ignoring that is going to be a problem, right? Because if you ignore that pain, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, like we talked about with my stomach surgery, ignoring that, it's like, well, eventually that could have killed me, right? But realizing like, wow, when my body's in pain, if I stop and listen to it, it's actually telling me something. And it's the same with emotions. Emotions are telling you something. They're set up there for a purpose. But you do have to get to a state <laughs> where you're not deep into that emotion where you can deal with it. And that's something... Um, I've noticed in myself and and in some clients and friends, it's it's like we're really good at getting out of the emotion, being a neutral, and being like, oh, it's fine. I was just being emotional. I was just, it's fine. And it's like, no, actually, the reason you were in this emotion, especially when it's a pattern, if it's something that continually comes up with the same person or the same situation, hey, that's telling you something needs to change, right? So yes, get into the neutral position and get when you're in neutral. That's that's the position where it's like, okay, now what are you going to do about this? Because there is a reason that this came up for you and action needs to be taken if you don't want to have that happen again. Um, so that's how I view neutral. Yeah. Well, and I think something important to mention with doing this processing work after 
is don't do this processing work when you are in the heat of the moment. That is not the time to try and process it because you are in this reaction state. You're not in a responsive thinking state. You are in reaction mode. You're in that sympathetic nervous system. That is not the time to be making decisions about boundaries or anything else for that matter. It is not a decision-making state. <laughs> so get yourself to that place, whether it takes you an hour, a few hours, a day, two days, a week, uh, you know, whatever it takes. And then, you know, journal, write down, okay, what was it that upset me? Is there something that I can change in the future to make this flow better, whether it's in your work life, in your personal life, um, and, and work through that either in a journal or, um, with a support human, <laughs> right? People talk about support animals. Um, but you can have anyone from someone you hire, like a coach or a therapist, um, or you can have just a really good friend that will talk through the details with you and not just, oh, I'm so sad you're feeling bad, feel better. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone that, yes, they are going to validate your feelings and say, dude, I get it, like vent, you know, have your reaction state for a minute. But then after it passes, they're going to be that person that's going to say, okay, you know, what led to this? Like, let's talk about it and let's work through it. Um, so having someone like that um, to help you work through it is, is something that um, if you don't like journaling is the next best alternative. So, or both, yeah. <laughs> both yeah. are great. With journaling, I, I have a love-hate thing with journaling. I love it as a tool because it helps you process in a different way. And the reason I love it, because you can talk and talk and talk all you want, but sometimes you need that physical connection as well. And journaling, especially when you're writing it, it just helps just can make that connection between the mental and physical and it just ties things together. Um, I know that there's like a scientific thing behind that, but I don't know exactly what it is, but it just, it really helps tie things together and actually helps that like feeling that calming that, okay, like I've processed it. But um, that being said, journaling can also be very hard. Um, I went like, gosh, I used to journal every day of my life for a long time. And then the last couple of years, I'm like, I, it, it takes a lot of work for me to journal. I have to be really intentional about my journaling. Um, and kind of like you said, like when you're in the height of the emotions, <laughs> journaling, yeah, I'm not going to journal, right? Because one, I don't want <laughs> to admit to myself the thoughts that I'm feeling right now. <laughs> Sometimes that's hard. But then also it's just like, well, what good is that going to do? Because you can just, you know, write really angrily in it with lots of big, big dots, lots of pressure, you know, and I guess maybe you could burn it like that might, you know, <laughs> some of that physical process. Um, but when you're in that neutral space, I think it is a very powerful tool just to help you, especially if you don't have someone to talk to in the moment who is a good processor. Um, Cause even sometimes like the best support human in the world, they're still a human and they're going to have their own opinions and their own emotions about what's going on in your life, especially if they're a friend. So like, and that's, that's one thing, like, I mean, even with you, it's like, okay, just so you know, in every situation I got your back. And if I feel like someone's not treating you right, I am going to be a little bit protective. <laughs> right. And you have to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> you know, yeah. in some situations. And so sometimes journaling can be helpful if you know um, that maybe that person's going to react in a different way than, than might be helpful in the situation as well. Yeah. If you've got some major, major stuff going on, 
definitely like a therapist or a coach, yes. like a professional to help you more well, and so not than even just a, coach, a friend. Therapist. Um, <laughs> I love life coaches. Don't get me wrong, but they are not therapists. Um, go to a therapist first. And then after that, like, if, like your therapist is a therapist is someone you should use to help you through some of the bigger things. A yeah. life coach is great. If you want to learn how to, to think a little bit differently and you want that, like, accountability and things um I've had some bad experiences going to some life coaches which is why I'm like <laughs> which is why I'm like no let's like make sure you go to a therapist someone who is qualified but also they have the oh like their boards right their licensing boards so they have certain things that they are allowed and not allowed to do that a life coach could technically do you know without mm -hmm. really without really having the big consequences behind them um so yes, obviously I'm speaking from like my own emotions on that one, but if you are having issues, please go to a therapist, like do not use this as, as therapy, go to a therapist. They're going to give you even 10 times more tools than we are even talking about right now. That's going to be helpful. And they're going to be someone too, who's going to be neutral. Um, like I can tell Camry all sorts of things, but she's not always going to be neutral, right? <laughs> you know, because we love each other. We want to, we want to be there for each other. And sometimes you just need someone who is neutral. Who's like, oh, well, I have no emotion about any of this. <laughs> like you just <laughs> let me know. And that can be very helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I did want to like touch on really quick too is support animals. So it's kind of a bigger thing these days of having that emotional support animal right so before I bias it with my <laughs> opinion I kind of am curious of like what you think of support animals Michaela oh I think they're amazing um I have like backs and forth on it um right with how it's dealt with right now um but I think animals are amazing I mean I need them I have never not had an animal because of who I am, <laughs> you know, and any times that I don't have one near me, it is very difficult for me. I was very lucky, like in college, because I was studying horses that I at least got to go and have the horses at the school be part of that. But I would have really, really struggled in college if I had not had that outlet where I could be at least with them and take that time to work with them and, and to, to have them help quiet myself. Um, so I think they are amazing. My my bias, I guess, towards them is I do feel like it is thrown around a lot um, where it is hard now, like people don't take your emotional support animal seriously because there's a lot of people who do kind of abuse that term, um, I feel like, and I, I do wish that it was more regulated um, so people who really truly needed it could have them when they needed to have them, right? Um, so that, that that's my thoughts. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I want people to consider with emotional support animals, especially if it's like a dog that's in your home, because um, horses are a little different, you know, they're out there. Um, and we do go and like, I remember in college, I would go and just sit at the barn and just smell the horses and, and listen to all their noises and just feel their energy. Um, but I think especially with dogs, um, I'm not a cat owner, so I can't speak to that. But I think sometimes we expect our dogs to take on too much. And I do think if we are constantly throwing all these like negative emotions and bad things their way and not thinking about the needs of that animal as well, you know, and making sure we take them on 
walks and get their needs met. Um, and we just think, oh, they're just my stuffed animal to cuddle with. You know, they're just that thing to help me. Um, they are an animal. They're a being. And they do have their own needs. So that's one thing I just like to mention with it is absolutely, yes, have a support animal. Like I've had dogs my entire life. I have never been without a dog other than at college when I was in a dorm and couldn't have one. And anytime I was feeling bad, it was like, come here. Like I'd bring them up on the couch and love on them and, 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 and do that. But uh, we also had four, I had three siblings. So we had four of us kids. So the dogs got played with and interacted with and, and had all those other needs met as well. They weren't just um, the thing to be cried to, I guess, if that makes sense. So um, I think as long as you're taking into account your animal's needs as well, um, on top of your own needs and that it is mutually beneficial. I think those support animals are just amazing. You know, like we talked about how horses heart energy is five times stronger than ours. I'm sure a dog's is probably stronger than ours too, just because of how you feel around them, right? They just make you smile, <laughs> um, make you feel better. Um, so definitely animals are wonderful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then I think our final one on the human side is like exercise, right? And yoga, which we talked about yoga a little bit with the breathing and the meditation. Um, yoga is great for just like stretching, getting movement in, um, using your body. And then exercise is just good for that endorphin release. And yeah, endorphins are, are great. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and me just with my exercise background, but from an emotional support, support standpoint um it's funny because I am huge into lifting I love lifting I feel powerful with lifting but it's not always the best source of exercise for me when I'm in a high emotional state because lifting especially for me especially with how heavy I lift it takes a lot of mental and emotional control to be able to move some of this which in some ways depending on where my emotional state is can actually help kind of kick me into it like and be more mindful but if I am in a really high state where my nervous system is kind of shot it's not going to help and if anything I'm going to have like a really crappy exercise experience and I'm going to be like going home feeling like I didn't do anything but for me running is a really good one because one it's rhythmic I'm pounding the ground. I always run outside too. I hate running inside. I hate running on the road. I, I trail run. <laughs> trail run is my thing. Um because when I run on the trail, one, like I said, it's rhythmic, but two, I'm out in nature. I'm noticing smells. I can see things around. My dogs are running around. They scare ducks up, you know, so I can see that. I have to really pay attention to where I'm placing my feet as well, because the road isn't just flat. I have to pay attention to the rocks and, and the change in the trail and the elevation and, and different things. And for me, that really brings me into a flow state, which is pretty much that heart connection is pretty much flow um where I'm connected on all levels on spiritual on physical on emotional and mental and it really helps me just kind of get back to a solid state um I'm not a big runner I do it mainly for that purpose of of just getting back into it so it's not like I'm running 20 miles I run like maybe two you know um but just being out in nature that way is helpful. And then yoga, I love 
I'm not a big on stretching and we can kind of get into that. That's like another podcast episode, but I love yoga for that connection, for the breath body connection and body awareness, um, I think is really powerful with yoga and which is why I'm, um, teaching it and getting my certifications and things in it is because I just, I noticed that. And that's something that a lot of horse people really like and really notice as well is that connection with yoga. Um, and too, with my vaulting, I really like those movement practices and I feel like doing it in a vaulting area as well can help you connect even more with your horse as well. So, yeah, well, and even kind of what we've talked about a little bit with dealing with trauma, um, even if it's mild trauma, like I'm not just talking about like major trauma, I'm talking about little traumas too our bodies process trauma through movement. So that movement helps us release some of that trauma and that pent up um, energy or anger or frustration and those things. So yeah, it's a good way to release that. Exactly. There's, there's a really good book. It's called, um, oh, like beating the stress cycle or something like that. Burnout, beating the stress cycle. I'll, I'll link to it. Um, But in this book, the author gives a really good, visualization that I love that I love to use with people and and explain things but that she talks about how when you're um like back in the caveman days right you have these stresses that are a saber-toothed tiger running after you now you're in this high stress state you're you're in fight or flight so you're running away from the saber-toothed tiger now back in the day they could run they could get to the village and then they turn around with with the other village people and kill the animal and then boom like the animals killed you did it with people you had that release there's no more danger now the opposite side of that is okay this tiger is chasing you you're running as hard as you can trying to get it back to your village but then all of a sudden the tiger's gone you don't know where it's at you don't know where it went you don't know what happened to it and you stay in that high stress state because what if the tiger just jumps out from from the bushes to get you? What if it jumps out from the trees? What if it sneaks up and stalks you into the village at night? You know, like there's all these other scenarios that build up into your brain. And that is the state that a lot of us are stuck in nowadays, because very rarely do we band together as a tribe to kill the stressors. You know, like if if someone's stressing you out, killing them is not the answer you can't you can't take care of it that way (laughs) right so you You mean you just can't kill your neighbor because they left their lights on all night or like (laughs) like for some reason that's frowned upon you know (laughs) but you have your we we are placed in these situations now that we are constantly in this fight or flight response because there's these stretch stressors that are coming out of nowhere and that can cause a lot of like nervous system issues right but exercise is one of the most powerful ways to help your body get that fight response and that release it's not always going to be like 100% the the fixer right you're going to have to do exercise and all of these things we've talked about and talk to a therapist to really get through it all but exercise is one of the most powerful ways and like the number one thing that that really helps you feel like you're completing that stress cycle or at least doing something instead of sitting there with your body shaking because you need to fight or flight exercise helps you do either fight or flight like running is a good 
flight exercise. You're in rhythm. You are able to notice different things. You're able to realize, okay, like you, you have to control your breath when you're running. You have to you have to be in control of those things and it helps you bring you back to that state. Um, some fight, like some good fight ones, I would say would be like lifting, boxing. Any of those things are really good ones or hit workouts are really good ones to feel like you're fighting, you know, because you're really being intense about it. Um, but then as you're doing it, you also then have to connect with your breath to keep going. You have to bring yourself back to that state. Um, you can start off by swinging at the at the punching bag, but you're not going to be able to maintain that long term without connecting back into your body. So that's yeah, I love exercise. Oh, of course you do. Well, it's crazy, right? <laughs> you're only just a fitness coach. I mean, I know. <laughs> so there are kind of the whole not the whole part of a toolbox that you can start putting together for human emotional control. And you don't want just one tool because if that tool doesn't work, you need another tool, you know? So we want to make sure we have all these different tools. So next week, we're going to continue on this theme of emotional control. And we're going to go into how to help our horses find that emotional control instead of just expecting it without giving them the tools right uh, which I think a lot of us tend to do we we think of them as these beings that should be perfect all the time and don't buck and don't do these things mm -hmm. don't get worried don't get concerned um so now we're gonna help give you some of those tools to to help your horse love it I'm excited till next week thank you for listening to the horsewoman project if you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.